that deals with salvation. And this chapter here has really been misinterpreted by many, many people in the church world. So we're going to look at it today. We're going to see what it really, really means. Praise God. Romans chapter 10 and in verse 1. The scripture says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Have you ever been in that place? You know somebody, a family or a friend or somebody that with all your heart you desire that they make it into the kingdom of God. If you know what that's like, then you know the heart of Paul when he says this. He said, my heart's desire is that Israel might be saved. So if you've got a family or or a friend or somebody, you can put your prayer in that right there because that's what he's doing. He is praying that God would save Israel. The Bible says in verse 2, For I bear the on record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. In verse 6, But the righteousness which is of faith, let's say of faith, speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Amen? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed or disappointed. When you believe in the Lord, you're not going to get disappointed. Amen? He will save you. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Amen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes. Let's all say yes. Verily their sound went into all the earth, 
and their words unto the ends of the world. That means the preachers went out and they preached the message. But I say, did not Israel know? First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation, I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Let's pray for the word of the Lord. God, we thank you today for your precious word. We know that it is anointed, God, and we just ask for your inspiration upon us, God, to deliver the word of God. And I pray for the congregation that is gathered here this morning, God, that you would give us understanding concerning this great need, God, this great subject called salvation. Help us to really understand what it takes to be saved, God, today. So, God, that we will stand before you, Lord God, not ashamed. And, Lord God, we give you praise right now, God, for when we do believe in you, God, we will not be disappointed and we will not be ashamed, God. We shall be saved, for you have promised it in your word today, and you have provided it to us, God, by your work. And in the name of Jesus, we trust you right now that you will touch and deal with our hearts, God, in the name of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. <clears throat> Let me focus something to you right now. Romans 10, 9 and 10. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, does that mean that all you have to do, first of all, is say, Lord Jesus, or speak with your mouth those words, Lord Jesus? Does, is that all there is to it? Is there more to it than just accepting the Lord as your personal Savior? We're going to find out what the Bible says. It says if you confess with your mouth, first of all, the Lord Jesus. It doesn't, doesn't say that if you confess that He died for you. It doesn't say that you confess that He re was resurrected for you. It doesn't say that, he shed, that we are to confess that He shed His blood for our sins. It says that we are to confess the Lord Jesus. Now, you've got to keep that in mind, all right? Because we're going to explain this today. And it says, if you will believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Does that verse mean all I have to do is confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that he rose again from the dead in my heart? That, does that place me in a position of being saved and right with God when I do those two things? Because a lot of churches preach that all you have to do is, say, is accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You walk to an altar and you confess, Jesus, I accept you right now as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that you died for me on the cross. I believe that you rose again from the dead. And they feel like when they make that statement that they walk out of that church a saved individual but I'm going to show you the Bible definition of that scripture not man's definition of that scripture but the word of God's definition of that scripture praise the Lord let's back up and look at the context of it because that's what you have to do every time you read a passage of scripture and you're going to base a doctrine or a teaching on it you have to look at the whole chapter you have to look at the whole context Y'all with me so far? Jesus said in John chapter 3, He said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise the Lord. And so they say, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and accept Him, and you're saved. But if you will look in John chapter 3, scriptures before that, Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. So you don't just pull one scripture out of a, uh, a chapter and base a doctrine on it. Do you follow what I'm saying? You have to get the Bible definition of what believing is and what confessing is. It's a lot more than people are teaching today in most of the churches. So we're going to look at the context of this chapter, the whole chapter. First of all, Romans 10 is written to who? It's talking about who? Two things. It's written to who and who's it talking about? First of all, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7 that this book that we're studying and have studied over the last few weeks is written to the church in Rome. It's not written to unbelievers. It is written to believers in the city of Rome. So these believers have already been baptized in Jesus' name and they have already been filled with the Holy Ghost. They've already heard the message of the apostles. These are born-again believers that Paul is writing to, not unbelievers. So you don't take a book that's written to believers and teach it to unbelievers. If you do, you're going to have mass confusion. You have to, first of all, Teach it to people that it, it was written to. That's believers. And it's written to believers. And it's explaining what has happened to the nation of Israel. Because the majority of the Jewish nation are not believing that Jesus is Messiah. They do not believe that Jesus was their Lord and their Christ. So it's written to the church in Rome. And it's explaining the problem of Israel. Why has Israel missed their Savior? Why has Israel missed Jesus Christ? You with me so far? So first of all, it's written to believers and it's about the nation of Israel. Let's look at it. So he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. If you know somebody, like I said, that's lost this morning, you know what it's like to have in your heart a burden for that individual that they would be saved. You know they're lost. You know they don't have eternal life. That if they were to die today, they would drop into a place of eternal destruction. And you know that in your heart. And so you know if it's a family member, how much you love them. And how you can't even bear the thought of them being lost in eternity. And that's the way that Paul feels right here. He's praying to God that God would save the nation of Israel. Because they are lost. Because they've rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Then he says this. For I bear them wit record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. If anybody had a zeal for God, it was the nation of Israel. The Pharisees were the most religious, strict people that you could find anywhere. That you could, if, if you can find a Pharisee today, they are strict religious people. In fact, during the time of a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, we studied him in the book of Daniel in history. Uh, approximately a couple hundred years before Christ, there was a man that came. And he offered a pig on the altar of God he desecrated the temple of God and they he made he took some of that flesh of that pig 
and he tried to make a priest eat that flesh. But according to the law, the, the Bible says you cannot eat pork in the ceremonial law. So because they observed the ceremonial law, they would not eat pork. And they, that man died before he would allow pork to go down his throat. They had a zeal for God, church. They were willing to die to abide by the principles that they read and found in the Word of God. Now listen, the ceremonial law, we, we know you can eat pork today. It's not going to uh, violate you. It's not going to uh, separate you from God. It might not be good for you. But see, to them, the ceremonial law was a moral law. And if they ate that pork, then they were literally breaking a moral law of God. So they would die for things like that. They would die uh, before they would not circumcise their children. They had a zeal for God, friend. And Paul says they've got a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Y'all with me so far? They were very religious. They were devout. But there's, you, listen, you can have misplaced zeal. I can have misplaced zeal. Just because you got zeal don't mean it lines up with the book, with the Word of God. You can be the most religious person that this world has ever seen and be completely lost. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. So he's saying they've got a zeal of God. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't that they were not zealous of God and that they were not on fire for God. That wasn't the problem. The problem was it was not according to the Word. It was according to their definition of the Word. you got to hang in here with me. The Bible says this, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Everybody say God's righteousness. They are ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. The Bible says, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So what they did is they, listen, they took the law of God. God gave Israel the law. And they got so mixed up with it that they started taking the law and they started trying to save themselves by obeying the law of God. But the problem was not one Jewish person ever obeyed the law perfectly. So if you don't obey the law of God perfectly, then where do you stand with God? If you're, listen, if you're trying to be right with God based on your own good works, you're going to come short, aren't you? And if God demands absolute, total perfection, that means when you miss it just a little bit, you've missed it. In the book of James says, if you break one portion of the law, you've broken the law. Are you with me so far? And so these Jewish people, they may have said, well, I've kept 95% of the law. But 95% of the law was not good enough because God required 100% obedience. So they would do everything they possibly could to be saved, to be right with God by their own good works. But the law was never given to save an individual. The law was given to save individuals. Do you understand that? The law was given to people who had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb in Egypt. When did they get the law? After the blood of the Lamb was applied on the doorpost in Egypt. So the blood saved them. And then they got the law on Mount Sinai because they are a saved people. Now God gives them His commandments. And so how did they get saved? 
from Egypt. They got saved by faith, trusting in the blood. That's what saved them. They didn't even have the law yet. Are you with me so far? Abraham didn't have the law, but he walked by faith and God justified him. So what I'm trying to say, there were people who were saved before the law, people saved during the law, and people saved after the law, but not by the law. They were saved by trusting in God and His Word and the blood. I, I, I don't know that I've got you yet. When I see it in your eyes, then I'll stop talking. The law of God, listen, all these sacrifices down here at the tabernacle, all these sacrifices, that's what they trusted God right there. When they shed blood, they trusted God to forgive them of their sin based on blood that was shed, not based on a book of rules. This is how they were saved. They were saved by faith in the blood. Now Moses, when he walked off the mountain in Sinai, he took the tables of stone and he threw them down on the ground because the people had already broken the law of God. You with me so far? So now what does God do? He's got a broken law. So he starts the ceremonial sacrificial system. And he shows Moses. Moses, build me a tabernacle so that I can dwell in your midst. And you can approach me by blood. And that tabernacle was a tent of blood. Everything about the tabernacle was blood. Blood on every piece of furniture. Blood sacrifices continually offered. Blood on the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant. Blood everywhere. It was a temple of blood. So they had broken the law. So God says, the only way you can get back to me is by blood. And you're going to trust that when that blood is shed, that you are going to be saved and forgiven. Amen? But see, now the Jewish people, instead of trusting in the blood and walking by faith, begin to take the law of God and try to save their own selves by doing good things negating the blood saying we don't need the blood we are good enough to be saved without the blood now you got a hold of it now thank thank the lord for helping me there i've got to help us understand and because they were saved by the blood then they sought to obey the commandments of god let your eyes sparkle if you understand if you understand lift your hands Amen. My little girl is my daughter. She, that's just a fact. Because she's my daughter, there's certain requirements that I require of her because she's in my household. She doesn't become my daughter because she's good or bad. She's already my daughter. And because she's my daughter, then I really have requirements for her. And that's what God is all about. Because we are the redeemed of the Lord by the blood of Jesus Christ, then we have commands that we need and must obey in order to walk by faith. Amen? And that's where the Jewish people missed it. They were walking around saying, we're saved, we're God's people because we are doing this and we're not doing that. God said, no, you need the blood to save you just like everybody else. Amen. So he said, they've got a, a zeal for God, but it's ignorant because it's not a God's righteousness. 
It's not being getting right with God His way. Let's say His way. His way. That's the problem with Abel. I mean, with Cain and Abel during that time. Abel brings a blood sacrifice back here. He offers it to God. And God, what does God do? He accepts the sacrifice of Abel. And he, Abel is called righteous Abel. Why is Abel called righteous? Because in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, because he offered a sacrifice of blood. He was trusting in the blood to save him. But here comes Cain. And Cain goes to the garden. And he finds some vegetables in the garden. No blood. Okay. The things that he has produced with his own hands. He pulls them up from the cursed earth. And he brings them to God. And he says, here you go, God. I grew this with my own hands. It was produced from a cursed earth. And here's my offering to you. And God says it's not acceptable because you have approached me your way, not my way. Abel approached me my way by blood, but you tried to approach me your way by your own good works. And God said it's not acceptable. I want to tell you today, you'll never be good enough to stand in the presence of God. You must have the blood of Jesus Christ pleading your case before the throne, saying that it's the blood that makes you right. So you've got to go God's way, Abel, or you go your way, Cain. And so the Jewish people were in the process of going to God their way. Offering their man-made works. Praise God. Let's look at it. So the Bible says, And going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, how, how did they not submit themselves to the righteousness of God? Because Jesus is the righteousness of God. And when He shed His blood for you, your sin and my sin, He took my place. So I have to submit to Him and ask Him to forgive me by, based on the blood. But they refused to do that. And they said, we don't need the blood that Jesus shed in order to be saved. So they were trying to establish their own righteousness. Not the righteousness of God. Now listen. For Christ is the end of the law. Literally, that means this. What is an end of something? An end is a goal. If I set a goal, that means when I get to that point, that's the end. That's the place that I wanted to reach. So the end of the law means that our Christ is the end of the law. means that He was the goal of the law. All the blood sacrifices pointed to Jesus Christ. And because we had broken the moral law of God, then the price has to be paid for that broken law. And He paid the price. Are you with me? So the law is the goal. It's, 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 it's taking, come here, Chad. It takes you by the hand. The law walks up and grabs you by the hand and says, come on, you deserve to die. You're a sinner. You don't know God. But then you, the law takes you to Calvary, takes you to the cross, and you looked up and you see Jesus hanging on that cross, His blood being shed for you. You deserve to die. You broke the law. You deserve God's condemnation. But you go, the law takes you and says, here's the answer. The goal is right there on the cross, and His name is Jesus. And if you'll flee to Calvary and you'll trust in the blood, the blood will save you and cleanse you, and you'll find forgiveness there. 
So the law was the goel. It was the schoolmaster that led you to Christ because you know you don't measure up and you stumble and fall short. So where do you go? You go to Calvary and go to the blood. So the law, listen, the law was never given. Nobody in the law, Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, nobody was saved by the law. They were all saved by faith in the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Relying on the blood. Every one of them, if you'll study, the men of God, every one of them had an altar. Every one of them, when they would journey, they would pitch an altar. That doesn't mean that they prayed. It means that they offered sacrifice of blood. So every one of them trusted in the blood. That's how they were saved in the Old Testament. That's how they're saved in the New Testament. Do you understand that so far? Whenever the Bible says, Abraham took his son Isaac. He was going to lay him on that altar and he was going to lift up that knife. He was going to kill him. The Bible said the angel of the Lord stopped Abraham. And he said, I have provided myself a sacrifice. God said, listen, the substitute that takes the place of Isaac is not my son who's the second person in the Trinity. He said, I will provide myself a sacrifice. I, God, will come in human form and I will let that human form called Jesus be crucified as a substitute. Y'all with me so far? So Abraham looked, the Bible said, and he rejoiced to see my day, Jesus said. He rejoiced to see my day. He looked and he saw Calvary whenever he saw that ram caught in the thicket as a substitute. And he took that ram and he slew that ram. It was a substitute for his son. He saw the day of Jesus hanging on a cross and he trusted it. He believed in that work and that's what saved him and that only is what saved him. Come on, church. But see, the, the, the Jewish people are thinking now, even though we have the Old Testament that established the fact that you're saved by faith, trusting in God's work, then they begin to trust their own selves. And so God said it's not acceptable. Are y'all with me so far? Y'all understand? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Now listen. Moses, okay, if you're going to trust in the law of God for salvation, His commands to save you instead of the blood. Okay, Moses said, all right, if you live by them, if you obey them, you will live. If you, if you want to trust in the law to save you, did you know that that's a, it's a probability. But it's an impossibility. Let me explain what I'm talking about. If you're trying to be saved by your own good works, Paul, uh, Moses says, okay, if you're going to live, then it, you're going to live because you obey the law. If you're going to be saved by the works of the law, then you have to obey it absolutely 100%. Do you understand what he's saying? If a person ever lived perfectly before God, would they be saved? If they never sinned, would they be saved? Yes. Because sin is what separates you from God. The problem is everybody was born with a sin nature, so there's nobody who is without sin. Hmm. So that means everybody needs a Savior. Everybody needs somebody to die for them. All right. 
Now that's what he's trying to explain here to the church why Israel missed it. Let's look at it. Verse 6. They missed it because they tried to trust in their own good works and not walk by faith and put their confidence in the work of God, Jesus Christ. Let's say Jesus. Jesus. See, if you can be saved without Jesus, he would have never had to die for you. Hallelujah. A lot of people today are trying to be saved without Jesus, without the shed blood. You're never going to make it. You cannot be saved without the shed blood of Jesus. Here we go. Look at this, verse 6. But the righteousness, if you got your Bibles, read along with me. Not out loud, but just with me. But the righteousness which is of faith. That's how we're saved. It's by faith. Faith. Everybody say faith. What is faith? Faith is the, uh, the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I didn't see Jesus die for me on a cross. I didn't see his blood shed. I didn't see that cruel death take place. So that means I'm going to have to believe that it happened. And that it happened for me. And I'm going to have to believe it by faith. Because I've never seen it. I wasn't there. I wasn't there when they went to the tomb and found the stone rolled away. And Jesus was out of the tomb. I wasn't there. So I have to believe that it happened by faith. Because I didn't see it with my eyes. Okay. So he said we are, we are saved. The righteousness of by faith speaketh on this wise. Because listen to me. I wasn't born as a little child raised up under the law. Then I'm lost. Amen. Because I didn't obey the law. I'm not perfect before God. So I need salvation. And the only way I can be saved is not by the law. Because I'm not in the law. I am saved by faith. Okay, let's back up and look at it. But the righteousness which is of faith is talking. It's talking this morning. And it says, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Nobody in this church, in order for you to be saved, has to get in a rocket and try to make it to the third heaven to bring down Christ to this earth. Do you follow what I'm saying? He's already come. Jesus Christ has already come. He is the Messiah. Jewish people don't think that he's going to come. He has already come. And that's the problem of the Jewish nation today. They believe he's going to come. We know that he's already come. And Paul says, don't think that you've got to go up and get him. Because he's already come. God incarnate. God manifested in the flesh. He's already walked the earth. He's not going to come. He's already come. Do you believe that? You're on your way then. If you believe that, that's what Paul is trying to get the Jewish nation to understand. He's not going to come. He's already come. And you've got to believe that He's already come and He's the Lord. Oh my. Praise God. And then it says this. But what saith that the word is? No, let me back up. Verse 7. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to say to bring up Christ again from the dead. I don't have to go to a tomb today in Israel and look for a Christ that I preach. Because he's not there. 
I don't have to go to a sepulcher this morning to try to find him to bring him up from the abyss from the dead he is already resurrected he's already come out of the grave and there's a grave over in the city of Israel and it's an empty tomb Jesus used to be there but he's not there anymore he lives he's alive so I don't have to go to Israel. I don't have to go to heaven to bring him down. I, he's, he's already come. He's already died. And he's already resurrected from the dead. He's a, supplied everything that I need to be saved. Okay, listen to me. Then how can I be saved? Alright, look at what the word says. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. Everybody say it's nigh thee. The Word of God's near. Listen to me. Salvation is not some kind of mysterious thing that you can't get a hold of. Do you understand that? Sometimes they have a, have a think, they think about salvation and, and being born again as some type of mysterious thing. Listen to me, church. It's not some mysterious thing that you cannot get a hold of. The Bible said the Word is nigh thee. It's right here, praise God. It's not a mystery. It's a revelation. It's happened. It's happened. It's happened. It's not a mystery. It's nigh thee. Amen. Listen. What's nigh us? What is near us? It says, the word is nigh thee. Somebody say, the word is nigh thee. Even in thy mouth, hallelujah, and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Now listen to me. Who's he talking about? We. We preach. The apostles. The word that we preach will allow you to be saved. The word is nigh thee. We preach that Jesus has come, that he died, that he rose again, that he lives, he ascended up. Amen. We preach that you can be born again of the water and the spirit. The word, uh, the plan of salvation is available to everybody. And if you'll just believe it, Israel or Gentile or whoever you are, if you'll believe it and stop rejecting it, then God will save you. It's not some mysterious thing. And it's not something that's not available to all. It's a message that's available to everybody. Now listen to me. If Israel missed it, the religious world today can miss it. Hallelujah. Do y'all believe what I'm saying? What the Word is saying? <clears throat> the Word is nigh thee. The message. Somebody say the message. <clears throat> the message. It's so simple. Somebody say it's so simple. But we make it so hard. We make it so mysterious. And we make it so out there so hard to attain but God said it's not out there and so mysterious it's the word the message is right here and all you have to do is believe it and it'll save you oh my 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 hmm. he says this that if thou listen to me the word is not even in thy mouth and thy heart that is the word of faith which we preach so let's say the message the message is important we've got it this morning I said we got it this morning 
I know that I know that I preach the message that when people will obey that message then they will be brought into the kingdom of God it's not some type of mystery and it's not some way way out there I've got it right here somebody say you got it you got it if you preach what they preach then you've got the message that will bring people into the kingdom of God preach it preach it preach it It's not a mystery. Well, I just don't really know. Yeah, I want to tell you what it takes because the message is available to everybody. Hallelujah. The message which we preach, he said this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, the basic first fundamental understanding that you must have in order to be saved is that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't say if you confess that Jesus died for you or that he rose. It says if you confess that Jesus is Lord. Did you hear what I said? Confessing that Jesus is the Lord God, that he's sitting on the throne, that he is Jehovah God. You not only have to believe that he died for you and he rose again from the dead and that he ascended up on the throne. Now he's got a name which is above every name. And what is that name? The Lord Jesus the Lord Jesus and if you understand that the whole gospel message the Lord Jesus Christ you've got to confess that he's Lord somebody say amen see the Israelites did not believe that Jesus was Lord hallelujah how many of y'all believe Jesus is Lord then if you say Jesus is Lord that means you believe that Jesus is God and Israel didn't understand that Jesus Christ, the one they thought was an imposter, was the very Son of God. That He was Lord of heaven and earth. Oh, man, man, man. So Israel, the first thing you've got to understand is that Jesus, you thought who was an imposter, is the Messiah. He is the Lord from glory. He is not just divine. He doesn't have the attributes of God only. He doesn't just have power. He is deity. He is God come in the flesh. I heard one guy said Jesus was divine. That means he had the attributes of God. No, he's got more than, than he's no, more he's more than divine. He is deity. He is God according to 1 John. According to John chapter 1, the word was flesh, the word was God, the word was not divine, but the word translated there God is theos, which means deity. He is none other than the Lord from heaven. He is God in order for you to be saved, you must believe that Jesus is Lord and you must confess that. So listen to me. I'm going to help you today. I'm going to show you what the Word says. I'm going to give you the Bible definition of what confession is. You with me so far? When you say Jesus is Lord, you confess that with your mouth. It is more than simply opening your lips and saying Jesus is Lord. Because James chapter 2 says that if you believe in one God, you do well. The devils believe and tremble. And in Matthew chapter 8, the Bible says when Jesus Christ came, that they even confessed that he was Lord. But the devils and demons are not saved. So it's more than walking into a church and before in front of an altar and confessing, Jesus, you're Lord. The devils do that, church. Come on. But are they saved? Of course not. 
So what is confession? The Bible said, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. It's more than just a verbal statement. Look with me to John, Luke chapter 6. I'm going to prove it to you by the word. I'm going to give you a Bible definition of confession. <clears throat> this, this message here put a lot of people under conviction. Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, 46. Is that right? Hmm. Look at it. Yeah, Luke 6, 46. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus says this, And why call ye me Lord you say it verbally with your mouth that I am Lord. Come on. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You cannot just call him verbally your Lord and walk in disobedience to the word of God. Because he said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? So confession in saying that Jesus is Lord is much more than just verbal response. It is a living out of obedience to his word. Come on, church. I can say Jesus is Lord all my life, but if I'm not doing what he says... He's not my Lord. So that means that people are preaching today that all you have to do is go to an altar and confess that Jesus is Lord and, and accept Him in your heart and believe that He rose from the dead and you walk out and live this into the world and you don't, you, you, nothing's happened, nothing's happened, nothing's happened if you don't live and do what He says. Now listen to me. So when it says when you must confess Jesus is Lord, it's more than just saying those words. Confession is your total life. And it's not a one-time occurrence. It is a lifetime experience. When you confess Jesus is Lord, that means every day of your life. Jesus is Lord. You live for Him every day of your life. Not just a one-time thing. Confession also includes baptism. Now listen to me. Every and I study this intently. And every commentator that I studied, every one of them, even some who preached that all you have to do is accept Him as your Savior, every one of them said that confession involves water baptism in the New Testament church. To truly confess that Jesus is Lord includes a water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that's when you call upon the name of the Lord. Acts twenty two sixteen 16 is when you're baptized in Jesus' name. Come on. Okay, let's look at another scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Oh, my, my, my. You've got to hear this. Any, anybody going to do any good for anybody out there in the world who doesn't know all the truth? You've got to hear what I'm preaching to you today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what Jesus says 
in verse 3. All right. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Come on. You can't call Him Lord unless you got the Holy Ghost inside you. Unless you've been born of the Spirit, you can't call Him your Lord. Because the Bible says no man can confess that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. And a lot of people claim He's Lord with their mouth verbally speaking it. But they've never been born again of the Spirit. So therefore He is not truly their Lord. Come on. Do you think, God, you think these apostles are going to contradict what they preached to everybody that was lost in the book of Acts? No, no. They don't contradict what they preach. So I'm going to give you the Bible definition of salvation according to the Word of God. Not man's definition. And we have to determine which we're going to follow. Man's definition or God's definition. Somebody put your hands together and clap unto the Lord. The Apostle Paul. How'd Paul get saved? Anybody have any idea? He was a Jew. He was an Israelite. How'd he get saved? Same way that you did if you obeyed Acts 2.38. But look at it, Acts 22. Paul is given his testimony about the way that he was saved. Okay. Look at this. <clears throat> Verse 12, let's start at 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Everybody say the law. Come on. Ananias is a Jewish born-again believer, but he's a devout man according to the law. Because now he knows where the law fits. That Christ is the goal of the law. He knows, all right? Then he says this. He came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. Now, Saul has not been born again yet, but Ananias is calling him a brother. Now, chew on that a little bit. If Saul hadn't been born again yet, why, why in the world is Ananias calling him a brother? Because uh, he's got the message. God sent him with a message. And when he preaches that message, he believes that Paul is going to answer to the message and obey it. So he's going to call him brother right now because he knows this man is going to obey the message because it's nigh him. Come on. But Paul still had to obey the message. All right. The Bible says, He came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers have chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, see the just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You must confess that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible said when Paul was baptized, he, the name of the Lord had to be called upon. Water baptism is a part of that confession there. 
So that means I must do what he says in order to truly be able to say this, Lord. Come on, church. The Bible says, if you'll confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shout, let's say it together, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What's the Bible definition of believing? It says, if you believe as the scripture has said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, that they which believe on me should receive. So when you believe the Bible definition of belief, that is the word of God, you're going to get the Holy Ghost. But if you're not really truly believing, you don't have the Holy Ghost today. You cannot say that you believe in God and believe His Word and, and, and not be filled with the Spirit. There's more to it. You follow what I'm saying? I'm giving you Bible definition. John 7, 37 is where, that, where you find that. Now go with me to 1 John 5, 1. Look at this. 1 John 5, 1. Oh, praise the Lord. 1 John 5, 1. <clears throat> Whew, glory to God. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Oh, my, my, my. I thought Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. Here it says, all you have to do is believe. Well, yeah, if you believe the Bible way, that means baptism in Jesus' name is included. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost is included. You're born of God because you can't say he's Lord unless you've got the Spirit. You with me so far? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is a Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Listen to me. It's more than just a surface profession. It is something very deep. It is an experience of the new birth based on your truly believing in what he's done for you. Listen to me. You can play a, pi a, a pino like a feather. You can walk over there and barely hit the, hit the keys on that piano with me but truly truly believing is getting down on the keys come on you with me a lot of people just have a feather feather experience they've confessed with their mouth he's lord and believing that he just rose from the dead but that's all they've got man they have not been born of the spirit now look at what the bible says if you believe in the lord the bible way not man's definition but the bible way you will have a witness in your life that you are his and what is the witness that tells you that you are a truly believing individual? Let's look at it. The scripture tells us, verse 6. <clears throat> is that right? Let me get the, make sure I got the right. Yeah, 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. He came by water and he came by blood. That means this. He was baptized by John in water, and he died on the cross and shed his blood on the cross. So he came by water, and he came by blood. He was virgin born. He died. He was baptized, and he was crucified, shed his blood, put in a tomb, resurrected from the dead. Are you with me so far? Come on now. Let's keep reading. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are three. No, these three are one. They're one. Listen, and there are three that bear witness in the earth. Three that bear witness in the earth. 
the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So what is the witness in the earth? The witnesses in the earth is the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Come on. Keep reading. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. Praise the Lord. So if we receive the witness of God, the, what is the witness of God? It's what I just preached to you. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. So I have a witness today that I'm a true believer because I've got a witness and it's the witness of God. It's the message of the Word. And it's the Spirit. I've been born of the Spirit. It's the water. I've been born of the water. And the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to my life because Acts 5.28 says the blood is in the name. And when they called the name of Jesus over me in baptism, the blood was applied. So I I've got a witness and it's the witness of the Word of God I've obeyed that form of doctrine that was given me and so I'm a born-again child of God because I believe the Bible way not man's witness or not man's definition of confession and believing but God's Word you got to have the witnessing praise the Lord does this help in anybody I didn't th I really did not plan on preaching like this I was going to save myself, but I feel an unction here today in the Holy Ghost. We've got to get an understanding of what Paul is doing here. You see, the basic need for Israel in order for them to be saved, first of all, is they must believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Messiah. If they don't believe that, they can't be saved. And they knew, Paul knew, that if they believed that Jesus is the Lord, that they would go ahead and they would get baptized in His name and they would be filled with His Spirit. That's what happens when you believe in the Lord. Come on. Look at Acts chapter 8. Quickly. I've got to move quickly. Acts chapter 8. We know a man by the name of a eunuch from Ethiopia. I don't know his name, but a eunuch from Ethiopia. Let's look at what happened to this man. Acts 8. I don't have time to preach all the book of Acts to you, but just a few accounts. First part of that chapter. Praise the Lord. No, okay. Verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is the desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of a great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasures, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet, then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near unto him, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb done before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He died. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet, this of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So he's preached. Listen, listen. Then the Bible says, and Philip opened his mouth. 
and began at the same scripture to preach unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart. Did you catch that? If you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And the Bible said, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteous peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And this eunuch man, was there was so much of the presence of God there, that Philip was translated away from him, and he started rejoicing. That guy got the Holy Ghost. Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, then I'll baptize you. Baptism's a part of it. You with me? Okay, I've got to continue on. Is this helping y'all? <clears throat> Verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. When you got true living faith, you are going to have a righteous life. You will live a righteous life. There's one guy I used to work with. Every time I get around him, you know, he's always lying about something. I mean, every, almost every other word of his mouth is a lie. And he said one day, how do you know that I'm not a Christian? He said, if you look at me and say, I'm not a Christian, you're judging me. I said, no, sir, I'm sorry to tell you, but the Word judges you. Because the Bible says, if you are a true born-again Christian, you cannot live a lifestyle of lying. You cannot live the lifestyle of sin that you're living in and claim to be a Christian. You, are you with me so far? What I'm trying to show you is this. Is when you're born again, you will live a righteous life. Come on. And if your life don't change, then there probably hasn't been any change. Come on. If there has not been any change, there's probably not any change. Because the Bible said when you believe the Bible way, it will produce righteous living. You will be made righteous by Christ, by the new birth. And you will live righteous. Praise, somebody say praise the Lord. How is that? Because now you've got a new nature and you don't want to do the old things. You want to do the new things. I wish I had time to preach to you. I've already got some of y'all dozing off. Amen. Well, I've got to jump. I've got to scream. I've got to hang from the chandeliers to keep y'all awake. The Word of God's not, not enough, man. I got to do everything I can. Somebody say, praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. No, I know you're listening real good. I know that. I know you are. Praise the Lord. The Bible says this, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's inwardly and it's outwardly, church. If, the outward, if you don't have the outward, you, you probably don't have the inwardly. Confession is outward. That's why baptism is a part of it. You with me so far? Verse 11. So he keeps on writing. It's not over yet. You don't just stop there. I give you, first of all, a, a proper understanding, a Bible understanding of what that means with the rest of the Scripture. Amen? Somebody say, praise the Lord. Do you believe it? And the Bible, then, but, okay. People still take those two verses, pull them out of context, give a, a man's definition to them. But let's keep reading. The Bible says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. 
You won't be disappointed when you believe in him the Bible way. I'm a satisfied customer, church. When they baptized me in water, in Jesus' name, I didn't come out of the water and say, I wish you wouldn't have done that. I said, oh, I know something happened in my life. Six months later, I finally got my old stubborn self to submit to being filled with the Holy Ghost. And I got filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And I said, thank you, Jesus. I'm a satisfied customer. I'm not disappointed. Come on. And I used to kick and fight. Well, I didn't fight baptism because I saw that in the Word. But I thought I had the Holy Ghost, never spoke in tongues. But I, I said, no, nah, I don't believe you've got to speak in tongues when you, you know, get the Holy Ghost. Well, guess what? Whenever you fight it the hardest, go to church the next service, and guess what's going to happen to you? you? When you fight the hardest, that's when God's going to do it for you. And I was kicking and fighting the whole way. I said, I don't believe you have to speak in tongues. And guess what happened to me that very night? I walked to the front. Brother Dice laid hands on me. The power of God woo, came on me. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I couldn't even stand up, man. And I started speaking with other tongues. So when you fight and you kick it all you want to, guess what? You're a candidate. You're the next contestant. Come on down. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I know what that's all about. I've been there. Amen? So he's telling us here, you will not be ashamed. Verse 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. You catch that? He wants everybody to be saved. He, he wants everybody to be saved. Amen? Tell yourself sometime, Lord wants to save me. And believe it. He's rich to all that call upon Him. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <laughs> Woo. Somebody say praise the Lord. Now how'd that happen? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts twenty two sixteen. It's not just verbally saying Jesus is Lord. It's calling upon Him for salvation. It's praying to Him. It's not just saying the name of Jesus. It's praying to Jesus and asking Him to forgive you and taking His name in baptism. That's what calling on the name of the Lord is. It's praying. It's casting yourself with total dependence on Him. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. <clears throat> now listen to me. All of this is for you. The baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues is for you. Don't make it hard. It's a gift. Hallelujah. Come on. Don't walk out of the church discouraged and say it's just not for me. It is for you. It's for everybody. Hallelujah. Somebody say, Jesus is rich. He's not poor. He can fill everybody. He had to be real rich to fill this guy. But he did it, he did it, he did it. Glory to God. That's why I get so excited, church. Because he did it for me. I didn't deserve it. Here's what he says. How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That means somebody has to be sent from God with the message of salvation. And that man must preach the message of salvation to that lost person. And they must obey what is preached in order to be saved. And they have to be a man sent from God. In John chapter 17, the Bible says, Jesus said that He sent the apostles. But he said, I'm not only praying for them, but I'm praying for those who will believe on me through their word. So how do you believe in Jesus? Through the word of the apostles. 
And who do I know is sent from God? The apostles. So that means that if I preach what the apostles preach, then I'm preaching what the sent ones preach, and I'm preaching the same message. And I don't have to fear about anything if I preach that to you, because that will bring you into the kingdom of God. Because they were sent. Not everybody's sent, but they were sent. And I have to preach what the sent ones said, or I'm not sent. Hear me? I had to preach the same message. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So he said, they need a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Amen. Y'all like my feet? How beautiful. God says my feet's beautiful. <laughs> Some people, they hate preachers. But listen, God likes preachers. And I'm so glad he does. I heard Brother Tom Barnes preaching a long time ago through a message. He was a tremendous man of God. He's in his 70s now. And he said, you know what? He was preaching to a bunch of preachers. And he said, preachers, he said, I don't know if you believe this or, or understand this because of the things you go through in the ministry. But he said, I want you to know that God loves preachers. I don't know how, but he does. Y'all with me? This is what he says. Amen. And he wants to use you to minister to the people and take the message that the apostles preach. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But listen, here's the problem. They have not all obeyed the gospel. You don't just hear the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and accept it and believe it. You have to obey the gospel. How do you obey the gospel? The Bible says the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I must apply that to my life by obeying repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, burial, and being filled with the Holy Ghost, resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection occurs in the believer's life, and that's how you apply the gospel and obey the message. When you obey what those apostles preached, you're obeying the gospel. Come on, church. Thank God. So listen, listen to me. Don't walk up to everybody and say just, just because they claim to be a Christian, just because they go to a, a, a so-called Christian church, accept them as born-again believers, friend. Come on. There's more to it than that. You've got to obey the message, and you must be born again. And if they're not, it doesn't matter where they go or what they call themselves. You've got a responsibility to tell them, this is what you have to do. Woo, come on. I don't care if it's family. I don't care if it's your best friend. You've got a responsibility to tell them the truth. If you know the truth, you've got to tell them. You get to. Come on, church. Paul says, If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. The Bible says this, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Obedience goes with it. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Not everyone that hears the gospel obeys it, church. Israel heard the gospel, but they didn't obey it. So we continue. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We are... Bible-believing Christians. We are not Christocentric believers, which means that everybody's experience is just as good as mine. It doesn't matter if they've been born again the Bible way. We are not that type of believer. We are Bible-believing Christians. You with me? If anybody ever asks you, are you, what are you? Tell them you're a bibliocentric believer. You're a Bible-believing believer. Amen? 
come on. Somebody's asking me, well, what do I call myself? We don't, we're not in a denomination anymore. What do I call myself? Just say, well, I'm a bibliocentric believer. <laughs> That'll blow their mind. What is that? Bibliocentric believer. <laughs> What's that? That means that I, my experience can be found in the book. And your experience must be found in the book or it's not valid. So there's a lot of people out there today who are Christocentric believers. That means that it doesn't matter what they've experienced. It, they make the word try to line up with their experience. No, we're bibliocentric believers. Amen? We've got to obey the word. So we continue. The Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Aren't you glad that your faith can increase when you hear the word? There's something powerful with the word. The, power, the, word, the word of God is alive. Man, when it's preached, I can't sit there when it's preached. It gets a hold of me. It's alive. It's powerful. It's quick. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's got something behind it. And, and I know you're listening real good. I'm not coming down on you. I know what you're doing. But I'm just telling you, friend, it's alive. It'll build your faith. You don't have faith. You feel down today. You know what's happened before you leave this place. You're going to be a different person. You're going to walk out of here. You're going to, whoo. I know what I know. I'm glad I know it. I'm glad I believe it. I have no doubt, no doubts. Here he goes. But I say, have they not heard? Yes. They heard the message. The problem wasn't that the message wasn't delivered. They heard the message. And Paul can back that statement up because he went on missionary journeys. And he went to the Jew first, the synagogue first. And when they rejected the message, then he went to the Gentiles. And everywhere he went, he preached to the Jews first. The message, the same message that, read the book of Acts. So it wasn't, the problem was that, that they had not heard the word. They could not stand up and say, we're ignorant. They could not say, we've never heard that. They heard the message. So then what was the problem? If they heard the message that was available to save you, what happened? It says this. Have they not heard? Yes, verily their sound went all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I, but I say, did not Israel know? Yes. First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation. I will anger you. What he's saying is this. They heard the message, but they rejected the message that's the problem today it's friend listen to me it's not a matter of of us not having the message or the word it's in the book it's there it's plain it's simple it can be understood you can't mess it up you can't mix it up it's just simple you with me if you show somebody that message and they say, I don't see it that way. They just don't want the message. Because when you're sincerely wanting to know the truth, when you're showed the Bible, you'll say, lead me to the water. I haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, but lead me to the water because it's in the book. I haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, but I need it. Lead me to the water. Lead. Let's do it. Amen. The problem is not that it's not there and that they haven't heard. The problem is they've just rejected it. Amen. 
and I know that. Let me give you one example. Y'all know the man that preached that evangelist that preached? He wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. Brother Ron Henderson, the tall black evangelist that preached for us. He wasn't baptized in Jesus' name, but he's been filled with the Holy Ghost. The Lord put on my heart before he ever came to have him preach for us. And he also showed me in prayer that he, I was going to baptize him in Jesus' name. After he preached for us, I took him aside, showed him the way of God more perfectly. Guess what he said? Lead me to the water. My denomination don't believe it that way, but it's in the Word of God. Lead me to the water. And I baptize that evangelist in the name of Jesus Christ. And I know what he's got is real. Because when he saw the Word, he didn't reject the message. Come on, church. Hallelujah. So he's in Jesus' name, Holy Ghost. Man, now. The problem is they reject it. Verse 20. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. He said, listen, this was a prophecy. That when Israel rejected the message, they reject Christ, they re reject the message of the apostles. Isaiah prophesied that the Gentiles would believe it. And that's a fulfillment of people. I see people right now who fulfill that scripture right there. Now why did God do that? So that... When Israel would look at the Gentile church being blessed by God, they would, it would provoke them to jealousy. When, listen, when you get this Bible experience, whether you understand it or realize it or not, people in the denominational world who have not experienced will look at your life and they'll say, I need what they've got. It will provoke them to jealousy. Hallelujah. Amen. The Bible says this. But to Israel he saith all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. The problem was they were disobedient and they rejected the word. And the word gainsaying means they contradicted the word. They set themselves up as contrary to the word. The word said one thing but they said nah we don't believe that. So God listen. It wasn't that God was not patient with Israel. Because the Bible said every day, all day long, I stretched forth my hand. I gave them an opportunity. I brought them the message. I brought them the word that if they would just believe it, they would experience the new birth and be saved. It wasn't that God was not patient. It wasn't that God just threw Israel aside just arbitrarily. He gave them a chance. He reached for them every day. Stretched out His arm to save them. But they looked at that arm stretched out and they slapped it away and said, we don't want it. Let's stand if we could and let's pray. God rejected Israel because Israel rejected Him and rejected His Word. He's not through with Israel. His work will be accomplished and Israel will be saved. Many of them will be saved. They will believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you today for your precious word. Lord, we know so many family members and so many friends, God, that are walking in all the light that they have. They love you sincerely with all their heart. And Lord, we just leave that in your hands, God. And we're not here to judge or put anybody into to hell. 
But Lord God, we thank you for the revelation of the truth. And Lord God, let us walk in the light that we have, God, because we know that we will be judged on that light, based on that light, God. And I pray that we would take this message to everybody. Give them an opportunity to receive it or reject it. Because the message is available to everybody, Lord, whosoever will may come. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, God, that you would just wash us with your precious holy blood. Lord, we're looking to the cross right now. We're looking to Calvary. We're looking to a finished work that you accomplished there in shedding your blood and dying for us, God. And by faith, we're reaching to that and trusting that for salvation today. We thank you, Lord God, that we can be baptized in your precious name, the one who died for us. We thank you, Lord, that we can believe to be filled with you, yourself, your very presence, your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you have decided to dwell in us, to live inside of us, and call our bodies the temple of your very spirit. We thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you would provide this for all of us. And God, I pray that not one person here today, Lord, would walk out and leave the promise behind. But would believe it and take it by faith and trust it and receive it, God. Simple, plain, and clear. Not mysterious and far off. So easy. So provided for. And Lord, I thank you right now, God, for this wonderful gift the Word of God, the truth that we have. We don't walk self-righteously with it, God. We walk in reverence and fear, knowing what you've done for us. We thank you for paying a terrible price, God, dying a terrible death that we might stand here and be made righteous by that blood. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your Word. We love it with all of our heart today. We pray for many, many souls, God. We pray for our harvest of souls in the last days, God. You have said, God, that the fields are white, ready unto harvest, God. We were to pray that laborers would be sent forth into the fields. Use us, O oh God, I pray, to labor faithfully, God, to bring an in-time harvest of souls, God, into the kingdom. People that will be ready for the rapture, Lord, for you are soon to come. I thank you for everybody that has come today to hear your word. I praise you for them. Lord, and I bless you right now. Thank you for what you're doing through us, God, to us, God, and for us. Thank you for opening doors, God. We will not be disappointed in you, God. We're not disappointed in your person. We know who you are, and we proclaim that. We are not disappointed in your precepts your word today we do not shun them God but we embrace them we thank you for stretching forth your arm the arm of salvation to save us knowing that you promised God to the prophet Isaiah that your arm is not short that you cannot save Lord we thank you today that you're able to reach even me and save me Thank you for saving even Paul. 
a man who claimed to be the chief of sinners, the furthest from heaven and the closest to hell. If you could save Paul, you could save me. We trust in your grace. We trust in your work. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Ghost, the gift of repentance, and the gift of remission of sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we just praise the Lord as you're being dismissed? Lord God, we just praise you right now, Lord. We worship you. We adore you, God, today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, God. I know that it is here right now, Lord. We are laborers together with you, God. You go with us everywhere, God. You stand with us, God. Your word is true. It's forever settled in the heavens, God. We rejoice right now. We know it will not return void, but it will accomplish that which it was sent for to accomplish. And we believe it in the name of Jesus. Oh, we rejoice, God, in you right now. We thank you, Lord, for pouring out your Spirit on all flesh. Every person in every denomination, in every heart, in every country that is sincere, that you're pouring out your Spirit on all flesh. We rejoice, God. Hallelujah. And those that are being filled with the Holy Ghost in every denomination, in every country. Lord, we pray that you would give them a revelation, God, of baptism in the glorious name of Jesus. That they would come to the knowledge of the truth of God. Understand the oneness of God. We rejoice in the truth that they do have, Lord God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Lord, we do not limit the blood atonement. We do not set ourselves up as judge and jury. Oh, thank you for the blood. 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 I, I, I'll just be honest with you. I don't know what God's going to do about everybody else that walks in all the light that they have and loves God sincerely. That's, God's, that's in God's control. Amen. And I'm not going to limit the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. But once you're showed the truth, then you're responsible for that truth. And we need to thank God for that truth. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Woo! I personally believe, according to the Word of God, there's a bride the bride of Christ, and there will be some who are not in the bride. They're called the bridesmaids, other people. Amen. Every time you have a wedding, not everybody's the bride and the groom. But I want to be a part of the bride. I want to be a part of the bride. And, and I'm going to take this message to everybody. I'm going to say, this is what you need to do. Amen. Praise God. I'll leave the rest with God. I'm not God. He is. Hallelujah. God bless y'all. We love y'all. Thank y'all for coming this morning.